This is Everyday Photography Every Day, where you get to listen in on a chat between a photographer, that's me, and a regular human. That's me. With an eye on making your pictures amazing. No technical stuff, no talk of gear or software, just photography for the love of it. I'm Suzanne Fritz Hansen, enthusiastic iPhone picture taker. And I'm Michael Rubin, photographer, founder of Neo Modern, and Grumpy Old Man, and we're in San Francisco tonight. Welcome. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, Ruben. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. <laughs> I just have a little bit of giggles, so I just I think that means it's a good show. You it know, is. ready. It's to, already good. We should quit. While ready we're to ahead. laugh. Ready to enjoy. <laughs> good. Good. Um, I haven't. Well, I was gonna. I've been working on my my Zen course, but um, actually, what I've done is I've found some old friends who are like phenomenal photographers, and I thought how cool to. Bring them on to season four and say hi. And so today is- You found a, a diamond. My God, well, I'm so, so impressed. This is so weird. So on today's show is, uh, I would say, a very old friend of mine, Deb Feingold, who I don't really, I haven't, I haven't talked to Deb in 30 years. Is that possible? Yeah. That's embarrassing. And, and that you said, let's not talk really before we record it. Let's just <laughs> right. do this live. Let's just- is- Phenomenal. <laughs> well, everything's more fun if you just kind of throw caution to the wind. And so, Deb, hey, you look great. You look, uh, the only image I have of you actually is like you had a, a Village Voice badge. Right. And that, like that's the image of you that's persisted for all these years. Uh, Deborah, this is Suzanne. Welcome to our show. Suzanne, Deborah Fine. Hi. Hi, Deborah. It is an absolute pleasure to meet you. Likewise. Thank you so much for inviting me. How are you? How you been? What you been doing? Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, should we not talk about the last year? Although the last year was very formative for me. Was it? more? Well, so. I, well, hold on, hold on. We don't know how it's changed if we don't know what she's been doing <laughs> for the prior 30 years. So let's just say I met you in Los Angeles in the oh, mid to early 80s. Yes. And my recollection at the time, at the time I was always walking around with a camera, but you were a real photographer and you would come into, come to LA and we're always doing something that seems sort of cool. Uh, I remember you had some sort of a gig for People Magazine one day when I was in town and, and I remember thinking like, who are you shooting? It's like at the time, like shooting Madonna, which might've been what you were doing in that era. To, to me, she was sort of bubblegum. I'm like, oh, is Deb shooting that pop star? Is that what's going on? Like, uh, anyway. This icon, this legend. The, the icon. She, she will only be named by one, known by one name. <laughs> like, like Ruben. Like Ruben, yeah. right? <laughs> just, just like that. So, so that's, so what was the story? What were you doing back then? So I started out, the, the short version was I moved to, from Boston, where I had gone to school, I moved to New York four years later with a jazz musician. Mm. And I was just going on, you know, going with him for the ride. Um, photography had always been a hobby. Um, while I, but I'd always, uh, during my, you know, early teenage years into after graduating from college, I somehow was always creating workshops, um, photography workshops for different kinds of sort of the special needs people. And I think what motivated me to want to do that was how much I loved it and what it gave to me. And I wanted to share that. So I ended up, because remember it was the seventies. <laughs> remember it was the jazz musician Mitchell. Or was it someone else? No, no, oh. that comes through in a minute. Oh, and sorry. So, um, so the last, I, I graduated college. I got a job teaching photography in a detention center is how they called it then. They also called them juvenile delinquents. I would not call them that. But I ended up teaching this one facility, the only remaining incarcerated facility, because they were deemed the most dangerous. They were waiting to go to court, blah, blah. They gave me my own cell. Oh my God. <laughs> and I set up a dark room from an, an old one that my, I had started on when I was little. And I 
um, did workshops, I think three days a week with the board. How old are you at this, at this point? You've graduated college. Yeah, I'm probably 22 maybe. Okay. And the, the thing was, was that just to be clear, because this carries over into my present, you know, how I view photography and what, you know, how I'm, how I work it, if you will, slash play. And it was, the camera was, I wasn't trying to create artists. I was trying to help particularly these boys find ways to express themselves. And in this particular case, in a nonviolent way. So I did a lot of sort of photo games that required them to work together. So no matter who I was working with, I was always sort of tailoring it for who it was and what I perceived they they could benefit from through the guise of taking pictures. Because to be honest, that's what it had been for me. It had become my best friend when I needed it. It became the, the, that camera in shooting that could change my mood. You know, well, sometimes as I got older, it changed it in the other direction, but (laughs) it, it, it just, I couldn't, it sort of saved my life because, you know, home life wasn't happy. And so hobbies were very fulfilling for me. Okay. So anyway, we moved to New York and I moved with a bass player, Scott Lee, and I got a job um, making cappuccinos in the village as one would do in the seventies. I didn't last long because I was afraid of the steam machine. <laughs> like it would hurt you. Somehow. Yes. It's super hot. Yes. I was oh, afraid. God. So I knew, I knew one person. I didn't say I was fearless. I wasn't a documentary. War <laughs> so, so I had one friend in the city because I was moving there to be with Scott. He'd been in a very popular band in Boston, was hoping this would be his next step. He was an upright bass player, Southern boy, really fabulous guy, still my best friend. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had one friend, she was working at Magnum Photo. Check that out. Cool. Wow. Of course. Oh, Oh, and I forgot to say that when I was living in Cambridge, Massachusetts, you know, after college, of course, I belonged to a photo co-op in a storefront. I mean, please. And of course, Minor White came and spoke because one of them was friends with him. And, you know, it was it was a good life. It really was. And I did a little bit of taking pictures of kids for colleges and shot local jazz bands and stuff. Okay, so anyway, we're back in the city. So I'm quite, you know, I love photography. So it's not like I'm I'm working at a place that I'm not familiar with. I mean, but where I was working was in the back room in accounting. <laughs> and, and I'm someone who oh, took algebra one twice and out al- and geometry. <laughs> so I, went, I, I, I was clearly not doing the accounting. No, I was opening the envelopes that were coming back from life magazine, look magazine, national geographic. And I'm opening them up and I'm opening those, looking at those photographs of Cartier-Bresson, of all the war photographers, and I'm signing them in on the back because they're all numbered. But what I'm really doing is getting my education because I was there, I think I was there two, three days a week. It was pretty unbearable. And it was, but I was getting, you know, I was touching them, holding them. And, and, you know, they were big pictures because they had to reproduce them. These weren't little tiny JPEGs. I mean, and that is really where my photo history, if you will, that's where I saw and was so moved by so many images. So anyway, do you think that that's the crux of photographic education, just looking at great photos? Will that, will, well, that, you think- that, Rubes, that's how I teach. I, I teach a really exciting class. <laughs> I believe <laughs> that. I mean, I'm a big believer in, I feel like I only learned photography from looking at Yes. great pictures. And that's pretty much all you, as long as it's the right set of great pictures, that's pretty much all you need. It's an emergent property of staring at these great pictures. You'll figure out what it. It helps what, you look when you get to see how other people see, you know? So, and I think it's that it, it opens your eyes to how else you could literally frame something. Uh, it's also so interesting, Deborah, is that one of our previous guests, Reed Callanan, also his life was changed in photography by opening the mail. Um, and so, and, you know, what 
his part of his job working at a camera store was to open the mail and it ended up completely changing his trajectory. So I, I love this commonality between your stories. That's anyway, true. sorry, we digressed. Sorry, we have, but keep, no, keep going. I feel like <laughs> this, is the, this is what makes it so juicy. I'm going to digress one more time really quickly. And that is that I, I'm not promoting. I won't even say where I do it, ICP, but I teach a class and it's called uh, Portraiture and the Art of Imitation. And what I have them do, Suzanne, which I think will, you'll really love this, is we start with um, a very early portraiture photographer, Nadir, and what what we learn from that is North Light. But basically, I have them imitate slash be inspired by all the amazing photographers. And I come all the way to the present. And I love I'm that. telling you, most of them are not familiar with any of the people. Uh, yeah. And that remains shocking to me. However, and I love these students. I have to say, I love them. I've been really lucky, but, and it's all virtual now, which is even much more excited because I've got people from all over the world in the class. Yeah. But what's, it, and, and the other thing I'm just going to throw out is one of the lessons, I think it's Irving Penn, when it was in person, I bought all of them, those painter tin can lights for $8.99 at Walmart. Mm -hmm. And half of the class who doesn't own learning equipment will use that for the rest of the term, the semester. Oh, wow. Because my thing is, you don't need to spend money or have fancy equipment. You need to see, you need to be stimulated. Yeah. Blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. Yeah, that's cool. <clears throat> so, so what I, What I love about that too is just, oh, hold on just one more. I'm going to give okay, her okay, more accolades. Okay, just okay. hold right. on. <laughs> but what I, what I love about that sort of approach is it when you think about painters and you list, you look at like the great painters of the world, it's they studied the masters first. And so that's how Picasso, if you've ever seen some of his earlier work, he can actually, he can absolutely copy what you're seeing in a, in a Renaissance painting before he decided to sort of say, okay, now I'm ready to see the way I want to see. And so I, I love that. I love how you're letting students like look at other people, look through other people's eyes and then find their path. Yes, because I always say, except for the few rudimentary, because I open it to all, um, levels because i think that's really important i think we inspire each other when we're not like each other mm -hmm. well, yeah i'm not speaking politically and, <laughs> um, and and so it's really interesting because i say certain things they have to copy especially when i'm trying to do basic lighting mm -hmm. but then i'm say be inspired by and that's where they start to bring in their own creativity you're taking pictures of jazz musicians you're in new york you're with Lee Scott Scott Lee didn't you say yeah, yeah. Scott Lee okay and and also so a year later he gets a gig at the Boondocks on the West Side Highway and he's playing with Mitchell ah and Nancy's there and that's how that friendship started interesting so Mitchell I don't know if you know this Mitchell does the theme music for the podcast Aww. it's his music so we actually Mitchell. thank him in all of our closing notes of the show it's Mitchie. Every, <laughs> I know. Okay. So that's how you got into the grant group. And I yes. met you at, on Creston at some point in the past yes, and then correct. lost track and you went off to become a famous photographer. Yes. But I followed you maybe, you know, not then because there wasn't any, but I followed the whole neo-modern, neo-modern. I followed all that. And I'm like, is this the same guy? Because I knew it was always a hobby, but I was absolutely astounded by what you were doing. So I oh. have followed you for the last number of years. Oh, well, thank you. That means a lot. So, okay. So you're photographing, okay. you're photographing. And so, you well, I can just, just to fill that gap. Um, I was shooting some of the jazz musicians and Scott, my, my boyfriend at the time, he was from North Carolina. Uh, a very good friend of his from college opened up his own jazz label. And so when Scott and I moved there, um, his, Scott's first gig, one of the very first was playing with Chet Baker. And wow. mine was photographing Chet Baker because that was on John's roster, John Snyder. Unbelievable. And, yeah. And so I was able to... Um, 
do a couple of assignments for him. And then this amazing music magazine called Musician, at that time located, I believe, in Boulder, Colorado, um, they were really breaking the mold of music magazines because they were covering all sorts of music. Um, they did a story on John, blah, blah, blah. I ended up being their photo editor, staff photographer for five years. So that really moved things along. I'm just doing the biographical part and I'm through in about 60 sec 30 seconds. And then Rolling Stone was very enamored by this magazine. Um, and they offered me a contract and People Magazine and then Us. And then I did Shot wow. Babies for 10 years. And I took, and then Businessmen, I, I took anything because the way my brain worked was uh, I'm going to learn from anything and everything. I'm going to have different challenges on each job. And that's what I loved the most was the challenge, you know, so that's it. And so you've, you, you, you shoot a lot of book covers now. You've shot, uh, shot a lot of illustrators. You've um, shot a lot of jazz musicians. As you mentioned, you actually created a book, um, your book Music. Um, can you talk a little bit about that book? Well, book publishing is interesting. <laughs> Anyone's ever attempted to do it or done it? Have you done a book, Rubes? Uh, not in a book of photographs. I've done other no, books. No, but a book. A book. Yes. I Written books. Yes. yes. Yeah. It's really challenging. And then when you take it into the art world, it's even more. And I learned a lot from it. So I would say what, what I chose to do was just select my favorite musician photographs throughout the years. Um, I wanted to put some stories in it but the Italian publisher didn't. And so for me, because I love photo books, that part, that part of it is missing for me. Mm -hmm. And so again, I just learned a lot about it, but I will tell you the printing of it couldn't be better. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> Paper and the yeah. field feels great. There is something enormously satisfying about like a good, yes. like a good art book. Right. Yes. It's just yeah. super. You know, what would be such a cool like short series of shows is for you to tell the stories is where it could be even a podcast, but just like having the book um, or whether or it's like a YouTube segment, but just something where it's like you get to see the picture or people follow along with the pictures and then hear in your voice what the story was. Um, I'm actually I'd love to ask you some questions that may be sort of related to this. Um, You've, you've photographed some very, very famous people over the years. And I was wondering if perhaps you could describe a shoot that maybe ended up in a way that you didn't initially plan it to go, but for better or for worse, but there was, you know, the theme of 2020 was pivot, but where you were proactively sort of having to pivot live and just like, this isn't working, this isn't working, uh, let's go here. Okay, so this is, I think the one podcast I can probably tell this one story. <laughs> because I no one's listening or <laughs> <laughs> like, I like yep. your humor <laughs> um, no be because there, there's some good lessons in it and, and there was for me um, but since I know who you knew back in the day I'm comfortable sharing it okay and, okay so this is a small story but I'm sharing this with people in terms of um, in their own photography. It's, it's less about the subject and more about, if you will, something that was really pivotal for me. So I was shooting, um, I don't want to say his name, but a pretty well-known jazz musician. If you like, I'll tell you guys later, if you like avant-garde jazz, you know, mm -hmm. and he was a like in the Chick Corea school of uh, go even a little more avant-garde. Okay. And he also yeah. was a big educator as well. Mm -hmm. I believe he taught uh, most of his career, but very well respected. So this is in the very beginning of me shooting, you know, real jazz musicians, if you will. And he was at the Chelsea Hotel and I was only shooting black and white because that's all I knew how to sh shoot and, you know, processing my own and all that. So, and just please remember all you listeners that I don't know what anything looks like till I go home put my hands in a black bag, load the film, develop the film and make a contact sheet. I don't know if I've exposed it right or wrong. I don't know what it looks like. And, and I'll add, and when I tell you the whole story, I really didn't know what it would look like. <laughs> so, so I'm shooting him 
he's not one for conversation with me. I'm really shy in the beginning of my career. And I'm taking the pictures and I know that I don't have anything. I absolutely know, you know, nothing's moved me, nothing's happening. And I'm gonna do what I always do is I'm gonna just end the shoot because I'm feeling his discomfort. Forget discomfort, his boredom with me. He is so over it. It doesn't mean anything to him. I'm not an entertaining person. I don't have the three jokes that I developed over the years. <laughs> uh, I'm not cool. I the not jokes cool. are. <laughs> so he lights up a joint and he says, you want to take a hit? And I'm like, sure. Now that's the first and last time I ever did that. But it was the best time <laughs> because suddenly I'm like, a part of me just was set free, less inhibited. And in my, you know, I said to myself, literally, you're not going anywhere until you finish. Fuck him if he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> and being a people pleaser, you know, that was something I never thought of. Oh, oh, if you're not comfortable, let me go now. You know, I didn't get anything, but at least I left you unharmed, you know, or, or I freed you, whatever. Always wanting to make sure everybody was happy, even though I was miserable. And, 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 and I kept shooting. And I can tell you that that lesson stayed with me for most of my career. There were a few times where I'm like, I'm out of here anyway. But I didn't know that it was okay you know, that, that outward, that people pleaser side of me to tolerate their discomfort, their boredom, whatever, that I had the right to be there. And for me, I mean, that's probably like, Deb, have you been in therapy most of my life? But, I mean, <laughs> but, but the, big, the bigger lesson is we all have a voice in our head that actually Unless, you know, I'm sorry for those that have other voices in their head, but I'm saying multiple. we have multiple. Thank yes. you. But, but that community can, can often in a situation guide you if you hear it. And I don't mean to sound Baba Ramdasi, but it's truly there. And that voice has come up so many times and I've learned to just follow it. And wow. it's the health, you know, it's the side of us. That's the truest to ourselves. Oh my God, who the hell is speaking right now? Listen, I've, got, I've got prayers in a minute, so I've got to end. Do you? You want to come to Santa Fe? Because I feel like you'll fit, you'll fit right in here. Okay. They, there's a room for you right here. I will say my daughter was conceived in Santa Fe, so there is some kind of spiritual connection. Magic. But wow. that was really important. So fast forward, I never did get high again while I was shooting, but- that was something that for me really freed me in a lot of ways. I mean, it still came up where I knew I didn't have something and maybe I left too soon, but I always knew I could always fall back on that. It's okay. You know? So anyway, that's, that's what, what happens when you do, when you, when you feel like, okay, hey, what happens when you know you've got something? Is it like the hairs on the back of your neck stand up that you're just like, I think I have something I can end this. Like, what is the feeling you get? Well, it's, it's, it's why I can't give it up. And, you know, I, I did a, a show this summer. Um, I'm living by the bay, not San Francisco, but by water. And <laughs> it, it was boat themed and very abstract, something I'd never done before. And I got the exact same feeling while I was shooting this still life. I just knew something was happening. And so I was, I was happy because I couldn't go near people and I didn't work for, haven't worked for a year in regards to that. It was so nice to know that it didn't, it wasn't just about the excitement of who someone was or a person that it was, mm -hmm. it, it was beyond that. And that was, that was really exciting for me. Have you been in a situation where the person you were shooting was so, had so much fame or charisma or something that you had trouble functioning or are you always able to push through that? <clears throat> I think I could have. So I think when I think about that, you know, I think about, you know, so when I'm growing up in the eighties, Annie Leibovitz's work was what everything was compared to. And, you know, I'd work with assistants cause I'm self-taught. I'd work with assistants that would teach me how to light like that. And I did a little bit of, you know, set building, which I loved doing cause I love trying anything. And, but 
I'd also hear stories about photographers that pushed people. So for me, if they weren't comfortable with something, it, you know, and I could tell that it just, you know, wasn't the right thing, I'd stop because how do I say, this was a live person in front of me. This was not, you know, a statue. This was not a model. This wasn't someone who was paid to do this. And that has stayed with me. So could I have gotten better pictures sometimes by being more aggressive? Possibly. Leibowitz pushed her, pushed her models to the edge. Like she's famously pushed her people. Yeah, but she's also getting, oh, her. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm being politically correct. I'm uh, not really, I'm just saying some photographer. I see. Okay. No, I don't want to be that person who like says shit about people. But I mean, there were there's other people too. But for me, that's not why I took pictures, you know. Um, but yes, there was some I could have gone further and I didn't. But I don't really dwell on that because I think about the ones where I was shooting Keith Richards and the assignment was from a British magazine. All they wanted was a picture of him holding a photo, uh, an album cover that in the album that most um, affected his, his career. Right. And so I shot the picture and it was at his home in Connecticut. The address is seven, three, two. No, I don't know. the address. <laughs> uh, and, and just very quickly, I did what the magazine wanted. Then I, I kept him in the same spot, did a few without it. And then I heard that voice again. And I said, well, you got what the magazine wanted, which often one would focus on, but you didn't get anything for yourself. And this is an opportunity you'll regret. So while my assistants were packing up, I actually walked down a corridor, opened a door and found this amazing room. And I ran over and I said, could we do one more shot? I lit, used one light and I took a shot that's not looked at that often, but that was really meaningful to me. Is that the picture on your website of Keith Richards sitting? Um, no, no, that one I never even looked at until he published his book and Little Brown asked if they could use that picture. I never noticed it. No, it wow. was him sitting at a baby grand piano with candles and a picture of Charlie Watts where sheet music goes. So I'll send it to you guys later. Okay. Yeah. But it was very meaningful to me. Um, so... If that didn't answer your question, perhaps it answered others you may have never thought about. <laughs> I just love that. I mean, I think the question that anyone has, it's not a photographic question. It's just when you get to spend that time with someone who's, you know, super famous, super cool. I don't know what they are. Um, what is that interaction like? Is it like there's 50 people around and you're, it's just a perfunctory thing or you feel like you're alone in a room with someone and you get to know them for a while and, and uh, try to characterize them in a picture while you're talking to them over the camera? Like what's your, what's the experience generally? So that's a really good question. So I was shooting, you know, celebrities more, you know, people that we would be excited by in the eighties and the nineties I'm not going to talk about the book covers because that's that's a whole other energy, which is fabulous for the most part. Um, but it was so one thing you have to understand. So people that were photographing, let's say, musicians in the 70s, the generation right before me, as you know, they were living with the band. They were a part of it, a lot of them. That ended come the 80s when I'm coming in there. <laughs> And if you, I would tell you, I would love one day to just go through with you which pictures were taken in a conference room for the 10 minutes that I had with the writer. Because my average shoots were very short. And the challenge was how do I get them comfortable? How do I create something that doesn't look like we're in a conference room and the next photographer and writer are coming in? And that was a lot wow. of my experience. And I think that served to help me later, but it was challenging in a way, but I had longed for more. I wanted to live with the band, if you will. I mean, uh, I, 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 that, that's what had um, inspired me so much. It wasn't, it was the journalistic, even though I wasn't a journalist, um, that uh, aspect of it, that, that intimacy, if you will, you didn't, you, you had a very short time to create that. And sometimes you didn't, sometimes you didn't. 
And so this is 10 minute, it's like speed dating. I mean, you're, yeah. you're going in and this is just a conference room or a ballroom in a hotel, like where they're doing a the junket, press junket. It's a, it's a junket after the tour or mm-hmm. something. Is that what you've got? So what would happen is if they had their, usually you're shooting someone because they're promoting an album. And so you would go to the record company and they'd have a conference room and you would set up in the conference room. So I would bring backdrops, um, look for spaces, do all sorts of things. That was a big bulk of it. But then, you know, that would change a little bit. But you were on a time schedule. It wasn't the cover of Rolling Stone, what I was doing. Some of them were. But, I mean, it was inside. And, and they, were, they were doing press junkets, you know. And so it was just different. It was just different. Because I think people do romanticize. But, you know, a lot of us that were shooting in the 80s didn't have that, you know, time to build up a rapport i mean the shoot with madonna which is my probably most famous photo if that was 20 i know it was four rolls of film on a hasselblad so maybe it was 48 pictures it might have been three or four and that was it she was in she was out but you know i was ready and she was ready we did our thing and she walked out (laughs) that was it i don't think we had any conversation what about that picture of prince what was the story of that same story i swear to god so that was for um a weekly magazine soho weekly news and it was sort of the downtown to the village voice it was further downtown (laughs) i will tell you that the art director the photo editor of that um alan tannenbaum sometimes i would see him in the past like at an exhibit or something and he said, that's the one, ass-, and he assigned it to me. It's the one assignment I regret not keeping for myself. <laughs> 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 but he wouldn't have had the luck that I had. So he said to me, um, uh, we, there's this new guy. He's playing at the bottom line, fairly small venue, great venue to shoot at because they'd have these poles and the photographers would take turns standing in front of it because it was really hard. You were not allowed to be block anyone's view. So, you know, I kind of got, you know, like a squatter, got, got a pole already. Maybe someone was watching it for me. Um, and, but I was, Alan said to me, yeah, we want you to shoot the concert, but we also want you to see if you can get a portrait of him in the backstage. Now I'd never been asked to have to negotiate that on my own. And I, I really, for most of my career was very, very shy. And I'm like, oh shit, I don't know how to light with an on-camera flash, which is what I have, but I still don't know how to use it. (laughs) And it's back, well, backstage was just literally some walls behind the stage. (laughs) So I'm like, I want to throw up, I'm knocking on the door and this big burly guy answers it and I, you know, in a high pitched voice, hi, I'm from the Soho Weekly News. And um, they've asked me if I could take a picture of Prince. Oh, wait, I sound like Prince now. Channeling <laughs> <laughs> Prince. And, and he says, no, I'm sorry. Prince doesn't do that. And I'm telling you, I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> so I go and I stand by my pole and I'm shooting the opening act, which is one of the Wayman brothers, which is crazy because wow. I did a Google search of my film like where you put the photo in a picture search to get the exact name anyway. And now someone's tapping on my shoulder while I'm shooting and I turn around, it's that same guy. And I say, he's really big. And he says, follow me, walks me to behind the stage and says, you were so nice about that. Come on in. So that's, that's a second lifelong lesson. Always be nice. Wow which wasn't hard for me because I was scared most of the time. (laughs) And a a lot of photographers are incredibly aggressive. Like the secret to their success is being brutally aggressive, pushing past guards, pushing, talking their way through things. That's its own skill for celebrity paparazzi type of photographers. And so you're right, being nice and taking that the high road they tell you don't like you'll never get anywhere and it's great to hear that it works but but i was also relieved because technically i was scared to death so he leaves me in the room with him again i know how much film i shot 
Um, if you cut your film to fit those file folios, you know, those pages. Five, yeah. So there's two rows. You shot 10 pictures so, total? No, there was two more down below, 12. One uh, of them is me. Cheated. By the time I finished, I said, would you like to take a picture of me? So now I have a picture of me. By Prince. By Prince, yeah. That's awesome. Wow. What's that picture like? How is he? <laughs> I, he was he was in focus. It was fine. But why didn't someone tell me, why do you wear your hair like that? I mean, it's just so unflattering. Anyway, so... <laughs> So, I mean, literally, there was just a couch and a sink. Now, <laughs> if I was to do that today, I could have done a bazillion different things with the knowledge that I have. But they're, they're, they're really, they're very poignant and they're very special images to me. And anyone who tries to steal them, you will hear from my attorney. Okay. <laughs> there's certain pictures that I covet. And I know people take, 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 but don't take that because um, I'm very proactive on certain things. So anyway, that was that story. Oh, oh I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, can I tell you another quick story? Oh, sure. yes, please. I really only had one cup of coffee and it was 830 this morning. So. Really? Because you're doing great. I must say you're doing great. Well, I love you guys. And I'm coming to Santa Fe. So I hope that red couch doubles out. I have a guest, I have a guest suite here, Deb. There's like a guest wing. Yeah, there's a guest wing and a gallery. This is the gallery of pictures. So you can enjoy oh, hanging out with Cartier-Bresson and... And, and then I'm going to, I'm going to make Rubes, I'm going to make a, um, um, a podcast to interview you and your photographs, which <laughs> oh my mind. Stop. So, go back to the, <laughs> stay on track. I'll, I'll go back. But, okay. Okay. So I did the John Boehner book cover that's out now <laughs> and you know, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but that's someone who was used to people being not professional and shooting him. And he said he did one shot, one shoot that lasted eight hours. And he only told me that while I walked him to the elevator when he was leaving, he gave me such a hard time and I had to dodge his bullets back and forth. And all the years of experience allowed me to get that shot because he didn't want to be there. And when you say, where was he? Well, they told us that we were going to be shooting. They arranged, he arranged for us to shoot at the Republican club. It was 9-11, 2019. We get to the Republican club. So that's like their eatery and it's mobbed. It's absolutely mobbed. Yeah, we could shoot it there, but there was going to be everyone sitting there doing their thing so I work with those reflectors that pop open. Uh -huh. I own about a dozen of them. And I had enough light stands that I made an entire wall <laughs> <laughs> and just made believe that it was my own studio. But he 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 pushed me around in his own way. And I was, you know, really able and I was with my art director. But I love looking at that and how much people love it because he was very challenging and he was being a real asshole, but I dealt with it with, you know, at this point in my career, it was like, dude, I'm not going anywhere. We got a job to do. When the shoot was over and I'm walking him to the elevator, he thanked me after pushing me away at one point, he thanked me and he explained to me why he behaved the way he did. Because I was so fast, he couldn't believe we were done. <laughs> as opposed to an eight hour shoot for one picture anyway sure sure i have a question actually about the book covers um when you got when you are sort of working with the you know the the writer and the publisher are you Never coming up with the con oh Never sorry the are the, like the, the the person like oh, the, the, so the cover um the the author or whoever yes, of course. Um, subject the subject. the subject. Yes. Are you are you coming up with like the concept of what that cover is going to look like, or is that kind of art direction coming from the art director at the publishing company? How does that dynamic work, and how do you collaborate to get it right? And if it's not working, what do you do? So some of my favorite book covers are the ones where we created sets, mm -hmm. um, and, and and a lot of them were with this one amazing art director director. And for me, because I never did advertising, really, I did just the tiniest bit. I've always been editorial. 
I loved working with the art director. Here they had this drawing and it's like, now do it, you know? And I'm like, calm <laughs> down. This is so exciting. And I know the one thing that I can do is make people do something they may not want to do, but in a, in a jovial way, you mm -hmm. know? And there was just a lot of confidence building. And the worst part is, is when the publisher has, or the art director doesn't have any idea what they want to do. And, you know, I don't really enjoy that because for the book covers, I like working together, but budgets have really been cut since the everything crashed in the mm -hmm. early 2000s and nobody, they'll look at my pictures of these really lovely, well art directed sets and they want to do it and they don't have a budget. You know, but it's, it's never like you just, they, they, the assignment wouldn't be go hang out with John Bonner or somebody and just oh. shoot him all afternoon and then we'll find one of them for the cover. Oh, it's no, never that casual. Sometimes with a woman, but no, they, they, it's really specific because, you know, book sales really decreased and it's really important, you know, and, and I find that exciting sometimes, but honestly, it's more fun working together with someone, mm -hmm. to be honest. Um, no, they're not. They can't. They really can't. You know, it's all marketing and packaging. But that, like I said, I like challenges. Can you talk about uh, the Barack Obama, the Audacity of Hope cover? You're so funny. You're tell asking about the best ones. So, <laughs> She's so good. She's so good. <laughs> very good. Okay. So um, it's always good to know who you are. So I got that assignment from um, the art director and it was someone I hadn't worked with before. And it was right after Barack Obama had given the speech, um, the democratic uh, speech. I can't remember. National convention. Thank you very much. And um, you're coming on board with me from now on. When I <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. And, and he wanted a picture of Barack Obama against the backdrop of Chicago. And <laughs> I don't do that. Now you call Annie in for that. Okay? <laughs> she's going to light the skyline and she's yes. going to light. <laughs> yes. So no. So they, I, ha I, I have that assignment. I have to go to Chicago, maybe a day early to scout a location. The only place I can do that is standing on a jetty. And then I've got the background, you know, I'm in the middle of the water, but I'm on a cement thingamajiggy. So we wait two hours for him to show up. He shows up at maybe 9.30 and everything has changed. The sun has come out and the wind has picked up and I'm shooting him and I do a couple of rolls and I know I have nothing because he's squinting the whole time because we had to shade him and it's still too bright. And it's so windy now that one of my rental light stands goes into Lake Michigan. And I, <laughs> no. say, I say, we're done. But what I had learned in my Debbie's book of lessons is <laughs> always have a plan B on a shoot like this. And in fact, I always, any kind of situation like this, I always have a backup. When I'm asked to do something that I'm not that good at, I set up what I know I'm good at. And what I'm good at is, you know, a portrait of someone. So I have, I, we, I picked a hotel that was right next to the jetty. I asked if he would come to my hotel room with me. First time I'd ever done that. And, <laughs> Obama, nice. And to a pres former president. <laughs> and he, he's on his own, but you gotta remember, he's kind of over this already. You know what I mean? He stood there. He did it. It was uncomfortable. And, you know, we're going to we walk over to my hotel room and we go upstairs and I have a complete studio set up. But the room is so small that I'm sitting at the foot of my bed and he's probably four, three feet in front of me. And I have a little <laughs> tiny, short, seamless set up. And that's it. And that's the cover. <laughs> wow. And you'd think, you know, we're in a studio and there's a lot of people running around, you know, and makeup artists. Nope, that's just me and him and one assistant. And I'm sitting on a bed the entire time. <laughs> and it's with a big camera. So I'm on the tripod and it's, you know, not up and down and all around. You know, it's a Mamiya RZ. 
but that's that's my shoot. I, but you don't, I, you're not like a Karsh photographer, though. You're not that kind of portraiture. No, but when I was in, I went to Emerson College and I took photo one uh-huh. and he came to our class. Karsh and, did? Yes. Oh. Somehow my teacher got him to come. So he comes to the class and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to go first because I think my work's a little better than everybody else's. He slayed me. It was horrible. <laughs> And then when everybody, but I learned a huge lesson from him, like a really positive lesson. And then when everyone else went and their work wasn't quite as good, he was not hard on them at all. Cause he of course, isn't going to know the level. So, but here's the lesson that I learned really quickly. So I had these Diane Arbus looking pictures of kids and stuff like that. And he said something that I've shared and, and I don't, maybe I hope you can get it. Cause I don't know. I don't know if I use the right words. He basically said, children are going to be entertaining to look at regardless, no matter. It's almost like, here's what he said. And I'll use my own analogy. You can't take a bad picture of a model because they're, they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that's why when I look at like, sometimes my students works that are shooting models and things like that, that's or I look at contemporary fashion photography and the photography sucks, but it's really been exalted. It's because no matter what you do, that bitch is going to look good. That doesn't make it a good photograph, you know, and that's what I try to inspire in people is find your own freaking voice. Anyway, but that was a good lesson. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, the kids are going to, I'm going to be touched by it, but does that make it a good photograph? So that's my car story. Are, are you okay? Um, you've, you've mentioned Leibowitz. Who else has really inspired you? Like when you go through this history that like, I know there's a lot of education that goes into this, but like what photographers really are the ones that kind of stuck in your head? I'm going to be honest, honest is the people that I teach in my class. So it's, um, (laughs) it's, it's Newman and it's Penn and it's um, I'm thinking of a lot of um, who's the man who did the jump book. I just went blank um, into the puddle Cartier Brisson. N- no, the jump is um, Halsman, Philippe Halsman. Philippe Halsman. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, in terms of portraiture, you know, very classic, then very environmental, I think that that's my inspiration. More, you know, fat, some fashion photographers. Um, Avedon, like those kinds of guys. Yeah, but also people that you know, uh, Arthur Elgore. I mean, I picked from a variety mm-hmm. of of people. Um, I loved his use of day, Elgort's use of daylight. Demarchier. I mean, they're sort of classically trained. A lot of them, they look like at least. But um, I don't know. Um, Sylvia Plahi from working at the voice she was a big inspiration a lot of journalists i love um newspaper journalism love it love it love it love it why what is it what is it about newspaper journalism photojournalism right the cartier brisson the timing the movement and also if you look at really good journalism everything in that image matters and how the hell do they do that in a war zone. Salgado, Salgado, Kudelka, those kinds of guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And of course, remember, that's what I'm looking at when I'm at Magnum. So I would say Magnum photographers, was it any, and and, you know, Annie's I loved for the creating an environment in a set and a lighting that makes everybody look good. But I always hoped I was putting my own turn when I was doing that or when I do that. But you know, if you were to ask me, you like today, who's your inspirations? You know, unlike my students, I'm not looking through Instagram for inspiration because I would say I'm more traditional, but you know, I'm learning a lot from teaching because I open it up to who do you, who would you like to shoot? And I've met some amazing um, work, but you know, I'm, I guess I'm kind of old school. It's all right. Do you have pictures on your walls? Do you keep photos on your walls? 
Yeah, but they're abstract. So I, I'm in the, the country now, if you will. And um, so when I, I, I closed up my, my apartment in the city, my walls were covered for the first time in my life, covered with all of my illustrators work. Um, oh. I started a project shooting editorial illustrators that um, were, I, I call it, I'm working on a book now that I, you know, like all of us, hope can find a publisher this time. Mm -hmm. And um, I call it Driven to Draw. And as we would say in Cranston, Rhode Island, where I grew up, Driven to Draw. But um, <laughs> when I look in the mirror, I say I'm driven to draw. But anyway, so these are people that um, there's like a political, like editorial illustrators, you know, that do a lot regarding, you know, politics, women's issues, black issues, and their work is amazing. And I have done about 60 portraits so far. And I would sometime, and I always leave them, I send them images, but many of them were very generous. And so I hung up all their work everywhere. I, I love those the I, photos I, of those guys. I mean, I looked at the pictures you have online and they're mm -hmm. just, it's a very expressive group. You know, your pictures are wonderful and they're cool subjects because they're doing fun, interesting yeah. and their workspaces are cool. And that's what I love is like the, the kind of the mise-en-scene of like where they're working, like where for a, yes. a pretty lame MTV Cribs reference of like, <laughs> this is where the magic happens. But it's like, this is where <laughs> their magic happens of like what it looks like to work in their world. I, I love it. And, yeah. and it's a very solitary world. And so... Much to my surprise, because I did this, I cold called people. I knew nobody. Really? I only became aware of them um, in 2018, before the election. That's I have the year uh -huh. right, right? Yeah. I noticed that where's all the celebrities talking about what is about to happen? And these on my Facebook feed, if you will, these were the only people that were screaming. And I just cold called one and one led to another and another and another. So if I do the book, it's their art and my photo, and then an interview with them. It's not about those pictures alone, but mm -hmm. they were really an amazing group to photograph because they're alone all freaking day. And you know, it was that there was no barrier. It was like, I, I, there was no pushing and pulling. It was like, it just, I don't even know how to describe it. So. Could you talk about, um, there's, there's two images in particular that I'm, that I'm really drawn to. There's one of uh, Stephen Kroninger, who is in this, I don't, it's like he's he's carved out a tiny corner of a space, but he's surrounded by books and posters and there's cuttings on the floor. And he's almost just looking up at a second like you just said something and it caught his attention. Otherwise, he was totally focused in what he was doing. Like a child. Can you yeah. talk about that moment and that shoot and him for a little bit? So he was lovely and he, he was he was still in the in Greenwich Village where he's always been. And I'd been aware of him since I started photographing. Um, we knew a lot of mutual people we'd never met before. But I would tell you that that's one of the shoots, even though the room was really small, that I probably had six images I could have used because I don't I shoot maybe. I try to do like five different setups. Oh, the other thing is, and you'll appreciate this. I set rules for myself. I don't use lighting and I only use it in black and white. So I'm cool. free. <laughs> Ruben is so thing. happy right now. <laughs> I just love, I love constraints like that. It's more fun. It's just like, that's the nature of the art to me is like set up some constraints and work with, yeah. against them. It's super fun, you know? <sighs> because it's about them. And yes, that's right. So no, I've used their light, like a, a desk lamp to enhance or I've moved it. But no, because if I made this schlepping equipment, all the joy is gone for me. I wanted mm -hmm. to go back to shooting jazz musicians. Yeah. And that's exactly yeah. what I did. And that, that was the, the thrill. But there were many, many, as you can imagine, someone who he just cuts up paper, he does paper collage. You can imagine what a collector he is. I mean, you couldn't even move in there. And yet every, because every room is going to be square, I found pictures at every angle. So, and he was so gracious and so lovely. 
He was a very kind man. They all were very kind. I, I they do have this similar feeling of your jazz musician photography or uh, jazz um, photos because it's like kind of just in their element. Whether it's it makes me think of like the equivalent of um, I'm forgetting the artist now, but the one sitting in the window playing the trumpet, and you kind of have him sort of silhouetted and and backlit, and it just feels yeah. like it's his own moment. Really, it's not. It's like he'd be doing that anyway. It's not opposed. Hey, sit in the window and do this. It's just like something he would do. Um, there's another other photo I wanted to ask you about on the illustration section, and it is of Harry Campbell. And it is a shot that maybe I, that really resonates with me as a designer, because I'm sure I probably make that exact same face when I'm very <laughs> focused, but to describe the image, it's, it's sort of the, his two IMAX that you are shooting between. And so it's like this, this reveal almost as if it were a Canyon in Utah, but you're seeing between these two, um, kind of blocking screen backs to his face so focused while working. How did you come up with that idea and get that shot? So when you're not schlepping equipment, all you have <laughs> to do is look. It was just there. Right. Yeah. And you know, you make a really good point. The, I also did this project because I wasn't getting as many as assignments as I did in the day, which a lot of people aren't and some are getting a lot, but I mean, everything's really dynamic has really changed and I'm, I'm a bit <laughs> older. And so I wanted something, I wanted to go back to shooting jazz musicians because for me, it was the most creative period of my career. And that just took me to that. And honestly, you pick two people where I have so many pictures that I selected of them he was a really interesting guy, really interesting. And I couldn't stop shooting. There was so much to shoot. His face really, is really, incredible. And, you know, yeah, we'll yeah. I have like five or six. If it's, if it's okay with you, we'll put the, those pictures in the show notes so people can see them. It's nice to where people can yeah. follow along a little bit. Yeah. And, if you, and if you need anything, I can send it. I can send you files if you need them. So when you start your podcast, you'll have uh, Debbie's book of lessons, and then you'll also be reading through, you'll be re telling the stories of the jazz musicians and the illustrators of some of these, these favorite moments. Um, it, actually, what I love is that you have such big stories from small moments. I think that it's actually, it's really beautiful that I can't, I kind of, I wish I could, you could take me through every single one. So as soon as you start your podcast, I will be one of your first listeners. I, ca I cannot wait. <laughs> um, one of the first questions, one of the questions we always, oh, go ahead. You're so sweet and thoughtful and you don't often feel understood like career wise. And thank you. Both of you, you make me feel really good. Oh, well, I think thank you for sharing your art in the world. It's like, it's it's so lovely to see. Um, we ask this question of every photographer we have. And I think especially for you, I'm so curious what your answer will be. Um, it's a bit of a hard question, but if you could describe your work in one word, what would that be? Oh, I'm sorry. I took a nap. Um, let's see. It <laughs> I don't know the word that this isn't the right word, but it, so it's the only thing that came up, which is patience, but I don't know mm. what that means, but I have to just say that's what came out first. Do you, uh, I have no idea what that means. Sorry. <laughs> Why don't you give me the word? <laughs> <laughs> that would be unfair. What are some uh, of the, like, give me, maybe I need a little direction. Oh, some people have said that their work is intense or <laughs> um, personal. Oh, okay. How about this? Tell, oh, oh, that's a good face. What about sincere? Does that suck? <laughs> no, I, I think, yeah, I do. I see. I see sincerity. I see authenticity. I see in a, in a way that maybe wouldn't normally be used, but only hearing your stories behind the photographs is like courageous because it's, it's not courageous, like a war photographer, but just that you kind of stick around to have that patient moment. It's like you're, you're courageous in the sense that you do listen to yourself. And I think the differentiation between like courage and like courageous and fearless is like that Nelson Mandela quote, where it's like courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. 
And it makes it, it makes me think of hearing your stories of like perseverance and like, I'm, I'm just going to wait here until I capture it. And so I actually really resonate with the word patience, even though I know you don't seem as sold on it, but I, <laughs> I, so I, I, I do see that. Perseverance or patience. Yeah. Sincerity is, that's a word that's tricky, I think, and can have a negative connotation. Um, so I'm, I'm going to just tell you, when I look at the pictures, the ones I like the most, I just see something in their expression that is repeated throughout. And they just, they don't look, I mean, some of the pictures, they look like I, I, I get nothing from. But in the ones that I like the best and in like all the illustrators, they just they just look like they feel comfortable. And that's what I'm able to do because that's so important to me that they be comfortable. But mm -hmm. that's that's like, I don't know how, you can make up your own word for me, but that's, in, in a few words, that's what I've always wanted, you know, to to accomplish, I guess. Or I've noticed that people always say, I can always tell when it's one of your photos. And then I'm like, really? Well, I, don't, I don't ask questions. I go, okay, thank you. But- that was important to me that, you know, and I see that as I age, I'm able to get it more and more. Do you, do you take pictures for yourself outside of work stuff that you're paid for? Like, and I'm curious what that photography is like. So um, I'll send you an article. That's the project I did over the summer. And, and now I'm working on a new one and I sold 50 framed photographs of it which they won't be listening to this i can't believe it, but it was, <laughs> so there's a lot of boat yards out here and i did and they're all put up on stilts because they're painting the part that's in the water yeah. but that paint that has aged with barnacles and peels i came in really really close and framed them in a way that spoke to me and had a show all during COVID and we sold over 50 images. Now- I'd love to see the, some of those. Fantastic, that is yeah. Congratulations. And now, thank you, I'm doing the same sensibility with um, uh, broken down barns, but they're really close. They almost look like Escher prints, if you will. Huh. Um, you know, I always have my daughter to, you know, look the first thing and she didn't get it. Then I had some adults look at it and they got it. How old is she? How old is she? She's 29. She's a teacher, but, you know, she's protective of me. You know, she doesn't want, but I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, it. And it's, it's pretty different than the other thing. So I'm doing that. And, um, you know, I don't go out and shoot with a camera every day but I work on some aspect of my work. Like I'm working on this book now, trying to, uh, I'm really lucky to, to have worked in publishing because if one friend is gonna help me write the proposal, another woman is sending it. This is really funny, I won't mention what, but this woman's doing a book. Somebody was getting picture credits, you know, oh, we'd like to use your picture of this illustrator. And it turns out that the author was paying for the photos and she's pretty famous in the world of publishing and design. And so I proposed that if she would chat with me about my book idea, she could have the photo for free. <laughs> so she's going to introduce me to her agent because she loved the idea. So, you know, it's like, yeah, days are filled with trying different things and working on different things. It sounds so great. I love so the great. energy and that you that you're just willing to be down for down down for whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. that you're like, I'll take that on. I want to build a set or <laughs> I want to shoot it with nothing. And, you know, your your desk light in my hand or <laughs> I want to do a book cover that's really produced and really like specific and like let's work to the brief. I, I think that's what is one of the things that is also you just have such a great energy about you that uh, that you just you're someone that like who wouldn't want to collaborate with? 
So your book is available on Amazon. Um, you teach at ICP. Where else can our listeners find out more about you and find out more about your work? Um, DebraFeingold.com. And yeah, where else? The, the website. Um, I think I've done a bunch of podcasts. Oh, oh, I have something really wonderful and I'll have to send you the link. Yes, um, please. This very famous English uh, photographer, Gerard Mankiewicz, he did a lot of music photos in the, I think in the late 60s, 70s for sure. He hooked up with a British um, video, uh, he did music videos and they've done a six part television show in the UK. I think BBC is part of it as well. So I'm in a number of the episodes but I'll send you the link to it. I don't know. It hasn't come. They talked about maybe Netflix. I'm not sure who's picking it up, hmm. but um, that was in, that was this over COVID that came out. I've done a lot of podcasts, but I don't really remember. Well, that we will definitely take the link to the BBC or potentially future Netflix show. That sounds amazing. It. It's called yeah. Icons. Icons. Okay. okay. Yeah. Awesome. That is awesome. You want to well, wind us up? I will, I will wrap us up. Uh, thank you first and foremost to our guest, Deborah Feingold. You are a pleasure to talk to. And again, I will be your first listener as soon as your podcast comes out and you <laughs> tell us all about your stories or Debbie's book of tricks um, and recommendations. But our show is recorded in San Francisco and Santa Fe. Go to neilmodern.com slash podcast to get show notes, see photos and post comments. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. Leave reviews and ratings, especially if you like us. We get new listeners from you telling your friends and spreading the word. If you know someone who might get something from us, send them a link. Thank you to Mitchell Foreman for our theme music and all of you for hanging out. We appreciate your attention and hope we've given you some things to think about. Until next time.